Well, at this time, I'd like to uh, invite all of our children, ages four to six, uh, to go to Redeemer Kids. And so if, you're, if you are between the ages of four and six, if you want to gather over here with Matt and Phyllis, they will take you to Redeemer Kids. What are you guys studying about today in Redeemer Kids? The Ark of God. Okay, great. Well, we're going to pray for you guys, but you can go ahead and go. Just know that we'll be praying for you as you go to Redeemer Kids. Bye. Let's all wave the kids. Great. Uh, we're going to pray for our children uh, as it is our custom uh, every Sunday as they go to Redeemer Kids. But we also are going to pray for ourselves because just as they will be hearing from God's word about the ark of God, we're going to be hearing from God's word. And we recognize that our children need uh, the leadership of the Holy Spirit in hearing and understanding the word of God. And we understand that's true about us as well. So why don't you bow your heads with me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, that it is truth, and that you intend to teach us and empower us by your word. So Father, I pray for our children We ask that you would be at work in the lives of our children, in their hearts and their minds, by your spirit, enabling them to understand the truth of your word as they hear a message from your word about the ark of God. We also pray for all of us here who will be hearing a message today from 2 Peter that, again, your spirit will be at work in our hearts and in our minds, enabling us to hear and understand and respond to your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you today, or if you're going to be using one of the Bibles in the chairs that look like this, so if you're using one of these, you can turn to pages 1019 and 1020, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. 2 Peter 3, 14 to 18, pages 1019 and 1020 in the chair Bibles. Well... The title of the message today is Final Words. Last night, my wife and I uh, got to go on a date. It's been a while, okay? So we, we went out to dinner and saw a movie, and in between there, we were in downtown Champaign, so we went to one of our favorite Thai restaurants for Pad Thai, and then we, we went to the movie at the Art Theater, you know, which is always an adventure, and... Uh, but in between there, we, we took a little walk downtown, and Judy had heard about this chalk wall downtown where people were invited to come and write down an answer to this question. Before I die, I want to blank. And they fill in the blank. And so we went to look at that and re- read it, and man, <laughs> it was very, very interesting. I mean, there was so much stuff written on this chalk wall about what people wanted to do before they die, sort of their final, maybe not their final words, but words about the finality of their lives. And there were some that were very like fanciful and and impossible, but cute, like ride a unicorn, see the Cubs win a World Series. Um, and, uh, and, And then there were some that were like, I would, well, one person said they wanted to eat an entire cow. I could relate. I, would, I, too, would like to eat an entire cow. Uh, and then, and then uh, probably one of, the, one of my favorite ones, there was a lot of, you know, be a famous singer, win an Oscar, or cure, find a cure for cancer, help people, a lot of, hey, I want to marry this person, or I want to play with my grandchildren. And then one person wrote, I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. But 
the, the, the point of this observation of the chalk wall is that it, it was interesting to see what people, what was important to people when they think about the entirety of their lives. What is that final thing I want to do before I die? Or, or what are those final words I want to speak before I cannot speak about this anymore? Well, today we're looking at the last five verses of Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, the last five verses of Second Peter in which Peter has already said earlier that he knows that his time is is near. He knows that, that his death is imminent. The Lord's revealed this to him, he says, and... We have no reason to doubt that the Lord... And, and so, really, all of Second Peter is kind of Peter's final words to the churches in Asia Minor. And then these five verses we're looking at today are the final, final words. See, I'm not the only one that has more than one finally, okay? I'm not the only one. I'm in good company. Now, these are the final, final words that Peter's going to speak to the churches in Ephesus. And so, final words carry weight, right? Don't they? I mean, do we not add some urgency? Not that final words are more important than any other words, but they do add some urgency. So what is it that Peter wants to say to the churches in Asia Minor? What is it that Peter wants to say to us in the final five verses of the final chapter of the last book? the last letter to the churches that he will write. Well, this is the message of the last five verses that Peter will write. God lovingly wills and works godliness in the lives of his people. That is the main idea of the text, these final five verses, the final words, the final, final words that Peter writes to the churches of Asia Minor, God lovingly wills and works godliness in the lives of his people. And you notice that's very similar to the, the, the theme of Second Peter, which is God's grace for gospel living. And one of the things we need to keep in mind and remember is that the book of Second Peter is one unit. It's one short letter. And we we really have to understand that every section and passage that we look at is part of a whole. And so that whole, the thing that Peter's dealing with in the second letter has to do with false teachers who are, who are spreading lies and the danger that is to the church. So some are believing the lies of the false teachers. Others are are doubting because of the lies of the false teachers, or some are completely ignoring the topic because of the lies of the false teachers. And so that's really what Peter is dealing with. And in this last passage, we, we're really dealing with the same struggle that we dealt with actually in the very first passage, that some doubt that God empowers his people to live lives of godliness, that they think that either it's by their own power that they live lives of godliness or that godliness just isn't important so they don't pursue it. That's, that's the, the, the condition that Peter is addressing 
in all of 2 Peter, and it's the condition that we face today. There are those among us who just have a hard time believing that the power for godliness is not my own. We think that we are the power for our own godliness. We are the captain of our own discipleship, okay? But that's simply not true. That's the condition that we find ourselves in and are dealing with. Or perhaps we don't think godliness matters. It's, you know, it's okay if I don't live a life of godliness because God is a loving and forgiving God and, and it just doesn't really matter because judgment isn't real, Christ isn't coming, so godliness, a life of godliness simply doesn't matter. Again, this is an error in thinking because of the false teachers, and it's a condition that sometimes we find ourselves in today thinking godliness doesn't matter, but yet we find that God has lovingly wills and works godliness in the lives of his people. So if you have your Bible, let's look together at 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, reading through verse 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Well, as I said we will see that God lovingly wills and works godliness in the lives of his people. But we'll see that he does this by promising and providing salvation. Also, we'll see, it, see that he does this by the revelation of his word, and then, finally, by growing us in Christ. But first, we see that God lovingly wills and works godliness in the lives of his people by promising and providing salvation. Look again with me at verses 14 through the first half of verse 15. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of the Lord as salvation. I think first we need to hear what Peter is saying in his affections to the churches in Asia Minor. He calls them beloved. Interesting, in chapter 3 of Second Peter, Peter uses beloved when he's addressing the churches four times, but it but appears twice in these last Five verses. So twice in the last five verses, though four times in all of chapter three, he calls those who are reading this letter beloved. What does it mean to be beloved? It's those who are loved. And I, so first, Peter wants the churches to know that he and also the Lord loves them. 
but also that this instruction, and not just the last five verses, but all of Second Peter is instruction that is lovingly given. So church, this morning, hear this instruction as lovingly given by the Lord. And also, I hope you can hear it lovingly given by me as the preacher today, that this instruction is lovingly given. I have to be honest, man, chapter 2 was rough, okay? Y'all were here for chapter 2, right? What was chapter 2 about, two sermons? Judgment, I know, okay? And sometimes it's hard to, to preach and teach and give exhortation about judgment and do that in a loving way. And man, if I, and, and if I failed at that, I'm, I'm sorry, and I, okay, and I know that I have an angry resting face, and, and so if I'm not working on smiling, it looks like I'm mad. I want you to know, church, I'm not mad at you, and I love you. And this passage of Scripture this week has... Uh, convicted me and also exhorted me to communicate lovingly to you. So church, I love you and I want you to understand that this instruction, all of the instruction that's been given from 2 Peter, even when it sounded like I was being harsh or that the text was being harsh or when we were talking about judgment, even that instruction about judgment is motivated by and given to you out of love. So this instruction is lovingly given. And Peter says, those therefore, of course, so that means it's connected to the verses just ahead. So if we go back to verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So that is what those who are loved are waiting for. Peter says, those who are loved by the Lord and also by me, you know that you are waiting for these. These meaning the promises of God to be fulfilled ultimately in Christ by his second coming and the restoring of all things. There's a lot packed in there because if you're waiting for the promise of his return, you're really waiting for all of God's promises to be ultimately fulfilled in Christ because that's what his return means. The return of Christ means all, every promise of God will be lovingly and gloriously fulfilled in Christ. So every promise that we're waiting on is fulfilled in Christ. And that is what these who are beloved are waiting for, these promises of God to be fulfilled, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And let's say a word about waiting, okay? Um, Because there is different kinds of waiting, right? Um, There is the kind of waiting mm, when the drive-through line at McDonald's is really long. There's that kind of waiting, okay? There is another kind of waiting. There's the kind of waiting that I do not do well. Another time of confession for me. When I'm driving to work in the morning and there's all of this construction on university and, and it's down to one lane and then the, the, the front end loader's out in that one and only lane and there's this big line of cars and there's a guy out there in a yellow vest who's not a policeman who says, I have to stop. <laughs> and I have to wait. I don't do that waiting very well. But neither of those are the kind of waiting that Peter is talking about. 
because, you know, he gives some instruction about being diligent. Be diligent. Since you are waiting for these, be diligent. Now, again, what are they waiting for? The promises of God to be ultimately and completely fulfilled in Christ. So there is a component of faith in their waiting. So they're waiting with faith. Okay, so it's not just uh, waiting just for this to happen because I'm impatient for it to happen. No, it's waiting with faith, believing and knowing that this will happen in the right time, in God's timing, and it will be good and it will be glorious. So it's waiting with faith, but it's also active waiting. It's, it's not sitting there believing this will, be, this will happen and doing nothing, just simply folding of the hands, laying down of the head, twiddling of the thumbs. I'm just waiting for this to happen. You know, no, it's, it's a proactive waiting because the instruction is, as you are waiting for these, be diligent. Okay, being diligent is something that we do. Okay, now, it's not something that we do in our own power. We could go all the way back to chapter one, okay, and we could read about how, how we've been granted a faith of equal standing in Jesus Christ through his redemption. We will read how God in his divine power did only what he could do and no one else could do and grant us everything necessary for life and for godliness. And he has granted to us his, very, his precious and very great promises so that we might know that we are freed from the corruption of this world due to sin and lust, okay? And so because of all, of the, all that God has done in Christ, the next, the next instruction is be diligent and do all that's necessary in pursuing these things. So uh, our, our diligence is ultimately empowered by what God has done in Christ, Okay, so, but there's still diligence. There's still something to be done. It's active. Okay, so this waiting is waiting with faith and being proactive, being diligent. And what is it that, that Peter encourages the churches to be diligent in doing? Well, be, be diligent to be found um, by him without spot or blemish and at peace. To be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So let's make sure we're clear. The him is Jesus. So when Christ returns and all of the promises of God are ultimately fulfilled in Christ's coming, be found by him. So when Christ comes, he finds you without spot or blemish and at peace. I can't think of the phrase without spot or blemish and not go to Ephesians 5. Probably because there was a wedding not too long ago and that was the passage that I preached from, but I think I'd still go there anyway because it's this beautiful picture of Christ and the church. In verse 25, the apostle Paul gives husbands this Command this admonition, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then goes on in verse 27 and 26, talks about how he's cleansed her through washing with his word. And then in verse 27, talks about how so that Christ can present the church, his bride, without spot or wrinkle, holy, without blemish. Who presents the church without spot or blemish? It's Jesus. 
Jesus, that's his work. That's what Christ does. Christ washes the church, us, his bride, with his word so that he, that he, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, might present us without spot or blemish. If we are to be diligent, <laughs> to be found by him at his return without spot or blemish, it's because Jesus has made us spotless and without blemish. It's because he has washed us by his word and he is presenting us to himself without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. And then the admonitions also to be found by him at peace. When I think about peace, my mind goes to Romans 5, the first couple of verses, that reminds us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through by, him, through by faith, we, we, this grace in which we now stand. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Our peace is no longer enmity. We're no longer enemies of God. The war, the war and the separation with God, war with God and separation from God is over. We're no longer his enemies. We are at peace. And the source of that peace is Jesus Christ and his work, his redemptive work on the cross is the reason we can be at peace. And here's the point. Being presented without spot or blemish, that is a work that Christ does. Being at peace with God, that is a work that Christ does. And, and all of that, the being presented without spot or blemish, being at peace with God, that screams out salvation. That is what it means to be saved in Christ. And in the first part of verse 15, Peter makes it real, very explicit. He says to think of God's patience, his forbearance as salvation. In other words, we live in the age of salvation. This is the t- God has promised salvation and he has provided salvation is n- and now is the time for for God to draw some unto himself to be saved. For the message of salvation to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. For the gospel to be lived and proclaimed. For the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his, into his wonderful light to be, to be praised. It's the time to proclaim Christ, his death and resurrection, and that those who will respond in repentance and faith as God empowers them to do so will be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 reminds us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved for it was the heart that you believe and are justified in the mouth that you confess and are saved. And so now is the time of salvation. God's glorious salvation is granted to those who he empowers to respond in repentance and faith to his glory. And this 
is a source of God's provision, his willing and his working in us for godliness. If godliness is going to be a reality in our lives, we must experience salvation, but not just experience it, but to live as those who have been saved, but not just to live, but to rejoice, to rejoice in the salvation that we have in Christ. What better way to grow in godliness? What better way for godliness to be encouraged in our lives than to simply rejoice in what God has done in saving us in Christ? God wills and works salvation in the lives of his people first by promising and providing salvation. But also, he works lovingly, works and wills godliness in the lives of his people by the revelation of his word. Look at the second half of verse 15 and then also verse 16 with me, if you will. And count the patience of our Lord, I'm sorry, as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom, wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, these are Something, the, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Peter does some very interesting things in these, this verse and a half. I mean, first, he, he calls on the writings of Paul. And actually, this tells us some things that, first of all, Paul's letters must. There must be a collection that must be being collected and maybe even distributed a little bit because Peter even knows of them, okay? And then he says, Paul writes about the same things I'm telling you about. And, and I think first we need to understand that Peter is saying Paul writes and agrees with what I'm saying in, first of all, in this matter of it being this now being the time of salvation and that we should think of God's patience and, and, and as salvation, God patiently waiting until all of the elect come to repentance so that none of them would perish. He said that's salvation for us. We should celebrate and rejoice in that, and that's consistent with what Paul has written. But he's also saying in this matter of Christ's return and, the, and all of the promises of God being fulfilled in him, that's also something that Paul writes about in all of his letters. And then also this idea of God being the source of our godliness, that God himself wills and works lovingly to bring about godliness in the lives of his people. That, too, is something that Paul writes about. So there's consistency among the apostles about the truth that they proclaim. <clears throat> but then he, he, he goes on. To say, not only is this there's this consistency here, but um, there's also consistency with the rest of what we know to be the inspired word of God, because he says refers to the other scriptures and the other scriptures. There he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures and saying what Paul teaches is also consistent with what is proclaimed there. In fact, he refers to the writings of Paul. Um, and the and the other scriptures. Do you see what he did there? Do you see what he did? He's saying Paul's writing and the other scriptures. It's that Paul's writing is scripture. That the, the writings of Paul as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ being consistent with the rest of scripture 
is actually scripture. It is that God breathed, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, word of God. It is scripture. And that scripture, okay, that, that scripture, though it is difficult to understand, okay, and let's face it, there are some passages in the scriptures that are difficult to understand. Some of Paul's writings are difficult to understand. Do you see what is being said by what's not being said? Okay. If some is difficult to understand, first of all, it means it still can be understood, right? So perhaps there is some wrestling and striving and, and meditating on the scripture that needs to take place on our part so that we might seek and gain understanding and also, lest we forget, prayer and yielding to the Holy Spirit's direction as we turn to these difficult-to-understand passages of scripture so that we might indeed understand. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians gives us this pattern of praying. Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus was that that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ, okay? That is praying for understanding of these difficult passages of scriptures, scripture that can be understood, lest, lest we forget. Though they are difficult, they are not impossible to understand, but only some are difficult to understand. Others are very easily understood, Right? Isn't that also true by, by what Peter has said and not said? He doesn't, doesn't say that it's all difficult. He says some. Some is difficult to understand. They can still be understood, and some are easily understood. The point is the scriptures are to be sought because they are profitable for godliness. There's this consistency in the message of the apostles, consistency with the whole of Scripture. They are indeed Scripture, the very Word of God breathed out by Him, and we know that all Scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. It's profitable for godliness because godliness is what God is empowering. He's working, He's willing and working in the lives of His people in this loving way, and He's provided His Word to profit us in this area of godliness. So God lovingly wills and works godliness in the lives of his people by promising and providing salvation, by the revelation of his word, and then the first finally, by growing us in Christ. Looking, look at verses 17 and 18 with me, if you will. You, therefore, beloved, there it is again, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I hope that you see there in verse 17 that Peter is, again, lovingly instructing the church to be on their guard. Now, he's already talked to them about how the Scriptures, the Word of God, the revelation of His Word is 
powerful and profitable for godliness. There is this consistency of the message of godliness. There is this consistency in the message of God being the one who empowers uh, our diligence to godliness. There, there is understandable truth in his word, but there are those who take the, that which is difficult to understand and they twist it, and they change it and make it into something that, is not, that it is not, and they are led astray and they lead others astray. And Peter says lovingly, guard against this. I want you to know that guarding is part of growing. If we are to grow in Christ, if we are to grow in our faith, if we are to grow in our wisdom and revelation of, and knowledge of him, then, then we will guard the truth that we know. We will guard what we hear. We will guard our hear, ears. We will guard our hearts. We will guard our minds in the truth that we know we will not be easily led astray because guarding is part of growing. And Peter gives that loving instruction to the churches in Asia Minor. Be careful. Take care. Be on your guard. Watch out. Don't be led astray by cleverly devised myths, okay, by those who actually play upon your sinful, lustful desires, okay? When, just be on your guard when the scripture says, flee the hint of sexual immorality, but a, but a teacher comes to you and says, it's okay, you know, because judgment isn't real, Christ isn't really going to return, so... Actually, it's right for you to engage in any sexual pleasure you desire. Scripture says, flee the hint of sexual immorality. Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. But the false teacher says, it's okay. Engage in lust. Not just engage in lust, but engage in any sexual fantasy or desire you want. It's all okay because the more you engage in that, the more God's grace will abound and forgiveness towards you. And that's a good thing, right? So when... One comes, or when we come to ourselves and say, it's okay, engage in this, when the word clearly says no, then we need to be on our guard, right? We need to guard against that. That's the kind of guarding that Peter is talking about here to the church in this area of God's provision of growth in Christ, because it's God who grows us in Christ, but guarding is part of of growing. So, church, let me give you this loving admonition. Let's be on our guard. Let's guard the truth that is entrusted to us, the truth that we know. How do we guard? I think it's by constantly proclaiming the truth to ourselves and constantly proclaiming the truth to one another. That's how we guard this truth that has been entrusted to us. But it's also relying on the grace that is given. It says, grow in the grace and knowledge, in verse 18, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and knowledge of Christ. Well, how do we grow in grace? By Embracing that which is provided to us. Where does grace come from? 
What is the source of grace? It's God, right? God lovingly and for his glory extends grace to us, his unmerited favor upon us, okay? The gift of salvation and forgiveness of sin granted to us, okay? That, that's God's grace, and he is the source of that grace. It's relying upon and embracing and seeking that which is already given, and then knowledge. It says, grow not only in grace, but in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Where does knowledge of Jesus Christ come from? It comes from God. God is the source. He reveals knowledge, truth about Christ to us. How do we grow in Christ? Well, by being on our guard, guarding the truth that has been entrusted to us. But also, also there's this embracing and relying upon the grace that God has given and the knowledge that God has provided. Again, God is the source. He, it is he that wills and works lovingly godliness in our lives by growing us in Christ, admonishing us to guard the truth, empowering us to grow by granting us grace and giving us knowledge in Christ. And to what end? What is the end? What is the purpose? Well, the intermediate end, <laughs> the intermediate purpose is that we would grow in godliness, that, that God's people would be godly people. They would grow in godliness. But the ultimate end is right there, the last phrase of verse 18. The last phrase, the final, final, final words in Second Peter, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It's for the glory of God. It's so that God in Christ might be glorified and honor all of the glory that is due to him would be given to him, that he would receive all of the glory that is due him. That is the end. That is the purpose in God lovingly, willing, and working godliness in the lives of his people. So how are, how are we to respond to these last five verses in, in 2 Peter? How are we to respond to this overarching truth that God lovingly wills and works godliness in the lives of his people? How do we respond to, to the truth that he does this by promising and providing salvation, that he does this by the revelation of his word, that God does this by growing us in Christ. How are we to respond? Well, I think I've already said this, but rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in the gospel. Do you see how godliness sort of swells up in us as we meditate on and rejoice in the gospel? The good news of salvation in Christ, the good news that God is holy and righteous and just. And don't you want a God who is holy and righteous and, and just? He is perfect in every way. Don't you want a God who is perfect in any way? Does anyone want a God who's imperfect, prone to mistakes, who can commit an error? No. So praise him that he is perfect in every way and holy and, and righteous. And this God is created mankind in the universe for his own glory. Yet man 
has sinned against this holy and perfect and righteous God. And we understand that sin to have, to have occurred when the first man, Adam, sinned and disobeyed God by eating a fruit that God said, don't eat in the Garden of Eden. And that fruit opened his eyes and to the knowledge of, of, of right and wrong, the knowledge of good and evil. And, and God said, don't do that. He was protecting Adam. And Adam with total disregard for God's will and God's protection on his life, desiring to be in the place of God himself, disobeyed and ate that fruit and and all of creation fell. Sin has corrupted everything and everyone and created this separation between man and God. But God lovingly and for his glory sent Jesus, his one and only son, that he would live a life that was perfect, but yet die in our place. And this is so important. In our place for our sin and rebellion and misdeeds against God. And then he was laid in a tomb, and on the third day he rose from the dead, displaying his victory over sin and death. Death is now defeated. It's killed. The killing of death. The, The victory over sin and God's acceptance of that sacrifice so that if we respond in repentance and faith, we might have the forgiveness of sin and hope of eternal life. And knowing that that, that responding in repentance and faith is empowered by God himself as he irresistibly calls us to himself. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in the gospel. Proclaim it to yourself. Proclaim it to one another proclaim it to all because it is salvation for all who believe. It is the power of God into salvation for all who believe. Proclaim it. Rejoice in it. Glory in the gospel. Not our glory, but glory to God in the gospel. It is the salvation that he has provided. But not just rejoice in the gospel. Let's, let's wait on the fulfillment of all of God's promises in Christ. And remember, it's waiting with faith and action. So wait believing, knowing, and living as though Christ will return and all of the promises of God the glorious, precious, and great promises of God will ultimately and completely be fulfilled in Christ. That is a great day. That is a great day for each one who claims the name of Christ. Who All who are in Christ, that is a glorious, wonderful day. Live in light of it, knowing that that day will come. And being active in pursuing that day. Also, let us seek understanding. Again, God has provided the revelation of his word to profit and empower us towards godliness. The the blueprint for godly living, the blueprint for gospel living is found in God's word. Let us seek to understand his word and realize that there's a marriage here of of our diligence and, and, and our our work with God's provision. 
There's a marriage there. I mean, it's God that does the work. It is God that empowers the work, but we still wrestle with that work. We, we still labor with his energy, his power that works so mightily in us. It's, it's, it's you know, Holy Spirit-inspired, gospel-centered, you know, faith-fueled work, okay? Effort, but it's effort that Christ empowers. But let us seek understanding as we wait faithfully. Guard against error. That's the instruction that Peter gives to the churches. It's instruction for the church of, uh, for us in the church today. Let us guard against error. Now, how do we guard against error? Well, I, it, it is this proclaiming the gospel to ourselves and one another. It is also holding one another accountable. It is, it is also um, guarding against our own sinful desires. It is so knowing the word of God and the word of God pouring over our lives in such a way that we recognize when, when, when there is untruth or error in our hearts and our minds, either externally or internally. Because remember, sometimes we're the false teacher, okay? Sometimes the false teacher's not on the outside telling us untruth. Sometimes the false teacher's on the inside telling us untruth. It's our own sinful desire saying, it's okay, You'll, you can repent tomorrow. Hey, the, that's not quite what the word says. Or, hey, you know, you deserve to just let go a little bit. You know, whatever it is, guard against that. And then glory in the work of God. Praise God for his work in your life and in the lives of others. When when was the last time in prayer you said, God, thank you for what you're teaching me right now? Okay, so another little confession time from me to you. Um, uh, Most of you know I work at a bank, okay? And uh, just recently... A few months ago, you know, got a promotion. I'm a personal banker, and, and you know, I, I love my job. I love what I do, um, and I have an hourly wage, and then I have a, a potential for bonus, for a bonus, financial bonus. And, and uh, that's based on um, how many profit points. We get into a bunch of other things. There's a big, long formula, but what it comes down to is profit points, okay? And um, I want to honor God in the way that I work. I want to represent Christ well at my job. And part of doing my job well is getting profit points and reaching incentive levels, but that's not all of what my job is, okay? And that's not also not all of what it means to glorify and honor God, and at least this is what I'm learning. And, and just this week, twice this week, okay, so one of my fellow personal bankers eh, goes outside to smoke a cigarette, comes back, well, the whole time he's gone, nothing happens, okay? Or the other one, he'll go uh, to lunch, and the whole time he's at lunch, nothing happens, I go to get a glass of iced tea, and two people come in and open new accounts. One to my right and one to my left, but nobody at my desk because I was gone. Or, or, or I, I take a moment to go to the bathroom, okay, and one of the tellers says, oh, Jim, I brought you a new account, but you weren't there, so I gave it to this other guy. I was like, you know, what, what is, I need to glory in what God is teaching me here, okay? My initial response was, I'm going to wear depends, and... And I'm, I'm not going to drink or eat anything. I will never leave my desk. 
okay? That is not glorying in what God is working in my life. God is teaching me something about relying on him. God is teaching me something about contentment in his provision, and I need to glory in that and not grumble about it and not learn it kicking and screaming and say, God, thank you that you're teaching me this. And I got to admit that I'm, that's not always my attitude. That, is not, that wasn't my attitude on Friday. Okay, as, as recent as Friday, my attitude was not, God, thank you for what you're teaching me. God, glory to you that you are sovereignly teaching me to rely on you, to trust in your sovereignty, and to be content in every circumstance. Maybe today that's my attitude. Maybe today I'm glorying. But let us strive to glory in the work that God is doing in us because the work that God is doing in us is for his glory. That's, that's the reality. God proclaims the work he is doing in us is for his glory. Then let's glory in the work that God is doing. Let's give him praise and thanks for the work that he's doing in us in willing and working godliness in our lives because God lovingly wills and works godliness in the lives of his people. He does that by promising and providing salvation, by the revelation of his word, and by growing us in Christ. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word, grateful for your work. God, thank you that you lovingly will and work godliness in our lives. I pray that we would be those who live lives of godliness for your glory. Teach us what it means to glory in your work. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.